Welcome to the RPG Design Panelcast, presenting the very best recorded panels and seminars related to game design and publishing. These panels have been made possible thanks to Double Exposure and their game design convention Metatopia at Metatopia Online 2020. These panels have also been made possible thanks to the kind contributions of the panel speakers and moderators at this event. Now, let's get to it. Episode 314, Forged in the Dark Designs. Presented by Charles Simon, Justin Ford, Pamela Punzalan, Eric Bernhardt, and Nichelle Schneider. Good evening, everyone. Uh, my name is Charles, and this is the Forged in the Dark Designs panel. With me, I have uh, a lovely panel of Forged in the Dark Designers. We have a series of questions that we've assembled. We are going to also take questions at the end. And I am pleased to announce that we've been, we're being graciously hosted by Avenel uh, of Metatopia. So uh, without further ado, um, I think it's going to be uh, an introduction of our lovely panelists. All right. Um, Charles, okay. did you want to did you want to introduce yourself first? Who are you? I, I happen to be first alphabetically. I apologize. This was not planned, <laughs> but so it is. Um, so hey, I'm Charles. Uh, my uh, acronym or my uh, nom de guerre online is Umbral. My pronouns are he him. Uh, you can find me at, on Twitter at Umbral underscore aeronaut. And you can see my uh, Itch.io page there. Um, my body of work is very short. Uh, my pr primary flagship is a Forged in the Dark hack called Hello World, which is a uh, post-scarcity cyberpunk utopia Forged hack. All right. Uh, alphabetical means we're on Eric next. Hello, uh, I'm Eric, uh, AKA Leastwise. Um, I use he, him pronouns. Uh, I'm at Twitter at Eric the Barrick. Um, I work with the San Gennaro Co-op uh, that puts out a lot of things that I'm not directly involved in, uh, stuff like our uh, short game digests, uh, as well as heists. Um, I think I'm mostly known for Brinkwood, The Blood of Tyrants, which is a Forged in the Dark tabletop game uh, that basically boils down to Robin Hood versus vampires. And successfully kickstarted. Successfully oh, yeah. Mm -hmm. Congratulations. Justin, I'm going to guess. Hi, I'm Justin. Uh, online, you might find me on Twitter as, as Dissonance at Mothlands or on the Blades Discord where I hang out a lot of the time. Um, my premier Forge in the Dark work right now is Mothlight, which is a post-fall science fiction game about honor and trust. Um, and uh, I've also had my hand in a few other projects, uh, including uh, if you if you followed the Unusual Suspects Jam on Itch.io, I feel that was a pretty good success, and and I'm proud of it. Thanks for participating, by the way. Awesome, Michelle, your turn. Hello, most of you may know me as Mistletoe Kiss, or as I'm known on Twitter at Mistletoe T Rex. I 
am a newish uh, game designer for Forged in the Dark Systems. I recently participated in the Unusual Suspects Playbook Jam with The Surge as one of my published items. And I do have a few hacks that I'm currently working on, one called The Boidal Surfer, which is about a ancient kind of a train and whatnot out on the ink. So that's pretty much me. Thank you. Uh, a sign of a really gracious panel is when the moderator forgets how alphabetical order works and they don't say anything. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> Pam, you're next. Hi, I'm Pam. Uh, I, again, I hope that people in Metatopia are not sick of my face yet. This is my last panel, though, so I will be no. checking out afterward. <laughs> <laughs> I am a designer based in Manila, and actually my first work of Forge in the Dark is interesting because I took Blades in the Dark and I gave it a custom setting based off of the novels of Leigh Bardugo. So the setting is called One More Notch, so the, I took the Duskfall map and I basically went, it is not Duskfall, it is a place called Marfolk and it is connected to Ketterdam, the capital in the story. It is an alternative timeline to the books. And um, for a while, I thought that people did not notice it, but like across the past two years, a lot of folks were saying, you kind of inspired me to hack that way, even though you're not making money off of it. And uh, other people were saying like fans of the book have picked it up and want to play RPGs because of it. So that is the work that I'm known for with Forged. Um, it currently has a campaign called Hungry Dogs Are Never Loyal, which is a revolutionary campaign. Uh, I'm running two tables on it with a third incoming, and it's been very interesting because the plan of the campaign is to basically overthrow the Merchant Council. Um, in terms of Forge in the Dark stuff, also I will be working on a Dagger Isle supplement again as soon as my commissions clear out, and I will be using Forge in the Dark to supplement a lot of my other works because <clears throat> what I'm known for more is my PTBA stuff, like Sundo. So that's me. Fantastic. All right. There are five questions in the queue and there are five panelists. So I'm going to start with Charles for the first one, work my way around. And then for the second one, I'm going to start with uh, Eric and work my way around. Um, so for the first question, why Forged? Um, what innovations account for the popularity of Forged in the Dark? And can we get just like a one sentence summary of what Forged in the Dark is for people that may not know that are joining us uh, without that knowledge? <coughs> Absolutely. Um, so Forged in the Dark game is any game that is developed off of the open uh, Creative Commons license that uh, John Harper essentially put out to the world in much the same way that Powered by the Apocalypse was put out to the world uh, by Apocalypse World and uh, Vincent and Megway Baker when they uh, designed that. Um, and uh, there's really no like hard lines. It's fundamentally, uh, do you feel like you're inspired enough by it to put that label on it? And if so, you're good. Um, it's a very, very free label. There's no like royalties or anything. It's got an SRD online that you can find at bladesinthedark.com. <laughs> so uh, now that I've sufficiently advertised for that, um, to answer the question, what do I think accounts for the popularity of Forge in the Dark? I will try to answer only just from my own perspective as a GM who did a few seasons of a Blades in the Dark game before I began to hack it. Um, what I really loved about it was when I read that book, front, front cover to back cover, uh, as a when I got it from, from the Kickstarter that ran back in like 2015 or 17 or whatever, um, it taught me, or it showed me a way, a style of GMing that was really impressive to me about just spinning a few plates, having a loose mental model of what existed in the world around you and around the players, 
and then posing questions to the players. Um, there's a whole, you know, mechanical framework of position and effect and all these things, and those are actually very wonderful. Player agency is very high in the game because you can select what not to uh, have befall your uh, your character even after you fail a role, as an example. But fundamentally, uh, speaking from the perspective of someone who often GMs, I just found it very freeing and liberating to not prep a campaign and to come up with this amazing uh, story arc. And it feels like an episodic TV-like story arc, like The Wire, which is one of the big touchstones. And that really blew my mind. Um, and so leveraging that uh, has been something that I've been, it's the lightning I'm trying to bottle every time I set my mind to the side. Thank you. Eric, how about you? Um, I think it's a, it's a kind of a number of things. Um, kind of building off what Charles said, uh, I definitely liked how much it was kind of geared towards uh, making the GM's uh, life a lot easier. Um, a lot of the tools in Forge of the Dark, particularly when you get down to kind of the metagame, um, whether it be that, you know, you're taking over a city or you're taking over a country or you're, you know, scrappy criminals or, you know, you're... Uh, some other version of scrappy criminals uh there's always kind of this meta game that's always kind of pushing you forward um and is always kind of making you um opening up new avenues for the players to pursue uh so that the gm doesn't have to uh kind of devote that mental energy towards it um i also really like how clear position and effect make everything um, for those who aren't familiar, the way Blades in the Dark works, uh, before you make any role, um, you first decide, the GM decides whether or not uh, you're in a controlled, risky, or desperate position, um, and that kind of controls uh, the consequences that can come out of the role. Um, and effect just determines basically how effective the role is. Um, and I like that it's kind of a way to uh, quickly get everyone on the same page every time you make a roll. Because um, one thing I struggle a lot with, both as a player and as a GM, is uh, kind of the dissonance that comes between how I'm envisioning a situation versus how my players are envisioning a situation. Um, and if we can just like take a moment to like quickly reconcile it and be like, oh no, this you're actually in a controlled position. You know, you're actually a lot safer than you think you are. Versus, oh no, I'm pretty sure you're in a desperate position. You know, you've brought a knife to a gun gunfight, and you know that's not going to work out for you. Um, dagger so, to a uh, vampire fight. Dagger to a vampire fight, exactly. Uh, so yeah, yeah, that's that's what I like about I like about it. That's fantastic. Thank you, Justin. To just quickly build on what Charles and Eric were saying, uh, I like that it lends itself to dramatic action. And I mean that like in the best possible sense, it's uh, equally, um, it's equally fun, both in terms of like dip diplomatic play as it is in, you know, combat or what have you. And, but even more than that, it's the conversation that it encourages between the GM and the player. It's people are always on the same page whenever they play Blades, in my experience, um, because that's what the game kind of encourages, is for everyone to talk about what's what's happening in the fiction, what could happen, what they want to happen, and it does that really well. 
Awesome. Nichelle? Yeah, I would just have to continue building upon that. The wonderful thing about Forged and the Dark Systems is it's so fluid. It can shift and change directly based from one table to another or from player to player, simply just based on what they wish to do. And it gives so much freedom in that aspect of being able to build upon someone else's creativity and imagination and then be able to build upon it with a little bit of what you say. And then somebody else comes and says, well, based off of that, this is what's like kind of like setting the scene. And it's, it in, it just has more investment from the entire table. And it's not just a, you are telling us a story and we're listening and we occasionally have input. It's everyone has input and everyone creates the entire story. And that's, the most wonderful thing about the forged in the dark and just blades in general. Deeply satisfying. Pam, mm -hmm. your, your answer. Um, everybody's kind of covered a lot of the touchstones for me, but I think that what makes uh, blades in particular shine and anybody who designs in the forged in the dark sphere, trying to emulate its ability to do micro settings is the fact that you have a lot of random tables, you have a lot of moving parts and Every single play of a single campaign can be entirely different depending on any little decision that your characters uh, make. And I find that really, really cool because you could just have a few keystones and your GM can just pick it up, run with it. And uh, depending on the interactions, all of that can transform the game into an entirely different experience, even if you're technically playing the same thing uh, just across different tables. So. That is hard to emulate, the idea of gameable lore that is effective for both GM and player. Because most people talk a lot about agency, but not a lot of people design well for it. And that is not a fault of the designer. Everybody designs with good intent in mind. I really don't think that anybody wants to design a bad game. It's just it's just a mix of a lot of things. You know, Maybe your intent fell short. Maybe you haven't really developed the sense that you needed to bring the vision out. Whatever. It's an entirely new conversation. but. Some systems help more with gameable lore and play and replayability. And I find personally that Forge in the Dark is one of them. Um, for people who are following along at home, do you mind, Pam, giving me a one-sentence summary of what you mean by player agency? For player agency, that means giving your players the tools in order to participate, empower, and uplift themselves in a way that lends well to the game world. That was badass. Thank you. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> I've been doing this a while, I think. I, I can't tell for sure, but I think. <laughs> All right, Eric. Uh, we're going to start with you for what separates uh, Forge in the Dark from other systems like PBTA? For you, what what is it that's the defining feature there? Um, I think uh, the sorry, my brain glitched slightly. Uh, I think what it comes down to um, is that. Uh, while some Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, do have fronts and do have ways that are kind of like built around establishing some sort of meta structure, um, a lot of it's very uh, practiced by the GM. Like the GM needs to go out and make fronts um, and for the players to confront. And there's there's probably like a debate to be had there about you know the level of player agency in fronts, but that's just been my experience with it. 
whereas everything in Forge in the Dark design is really kind of centered around what the players want to do and kind of where they want to take their story within the context of the game, of course. Um, I'm not saying like you can literally do anything in literally any Forge in the Dark game, but it's more that Forge in the Dark games are built to kind of throw players into a situation, into a world, and kind of have them explore it on their own terms, rather than kind of being faced down by the GM with like, here's what you need to take care of, here are your problems, um, generally speaking. Um, obviously, position and effect uh, are kind of like the biggest mechanical differences. Um, you know, there's you can get into stuff about, you know, the dice mechanics uh, and, like, how character sheets work and all those different things. But um, I think the biggest kind of shift in mentality goes back to um, kind of who's leading the story. Okay, and the other part of that question was um, paraphrased. What is your favorite uh, mechanic or aspect to cherry pick from another source to bring into Forge de designing? Um, I do think, uh, going back to Powered by the Apocalypse, a lot of Powered by the Apocalypse games uh, kind of build their lore in a way that's very flexible, uh, that's kind of designed to um, have the pieces that work for the players and works for the individual table. Um, I'm sure Pam will talk more about it, um, but one of my favorite mechanics from Sundu um, was the way you set up the lore in that game is you make decisions at the out front of your campaign about like what kind of ghosts you're going to be, uh, what the mementos are, what the actual uh, world of the game is going to be like, and I think that's something yeah. nearly every role-playing game could benefit from. Thank you. Um, Justin, so just to recap the question, mm -hmm. um, what separates Blades uh, Forged in the Dark from other systems like PBTA? And then the kicker question is, uh, what, would, what do you like to cherry pick or what do you think other designers should cherry pick and pull over? Well, there are a lot of mechanical flourishes that are great additions to just RPGs in general. And I'm sure we'll talk about some of those later. I could talk about them for a long time, and I do on a podcast that I'd run. But um, to pick one thing, uh, I think that what separates, let's, let's talk about PBTA specifically, because there's a lot of similarities. What separates Forge in the Dark from PBTA to me is when the action happens in a Forge in the Dark game, we really zoom in. We, it's like almost going, it's like in an action movie when, you, when they engage slow-mo. And to me, it's, it's in the good way, right? <laughs> it's good slow-mo in the sense that you really focus in and you talk about very, not, not completely granular actions like in a more classic role-playing game, but very like uh, meaningful, um, physical, emotional, uh, conversational reactions to what's happening in that scene. In PBTA, many of the mechanical elements of the game facilitate more broader um, changes in the world that can encompass like minutes, hours, um, in a Forge in the Dark game, usually whenever something is actually dangerous and, and we zoom in to engage the mechanics, it's, it's, we're talking like real time, you know, close up on you in, in the camera. Um, it, that's really different to me. 
Um, okay. As for as for the other part of that question, what can uh, be brought into Forge in the Dark that I've seen? Um, I really want to hear more about Pam's answer as well, uh, because I do think that one thing that's really exciting to see is people uh, you, making hacks that start out just with a genre and then allowing the GM and the players to construct the setting together. That's really cool to be seeing uh, being done right now. Um, and the other thing is I really want to see people play with the structures of the game because there's a there's a really simple cyclical structure to Blades that's, that I love, but by changing that structure, you can really change the feel of the game, and I'm seeing some exciting things happening in that space too. Thank you so much. Nichelle, do you need me to restate both parts of the question, or you've got it? I've got it. Thank you. Okay. I was sure you did. I kind of come from a little bit of an interesting perspective because I'm not that familiar with PBTA in a game. I have played a few tabletop RPGs, um, mostly like D&Ds, what got me started. I played 3.5. Someone, you know, just a group of friends coming together. They're like, oh, you want to play? Sure. Well, here's here's like a pre-made sheet. We already have it. And just slowly working me through all the rules and everything that comes with it. And then I went from that stuff to Shadowrun, actually, which is another very crunchy system. A lot of mechanics, a lot of things that you can interact with, but it's not really personable. It doesn't, the story doesn't necessarily change based on how you decide to go ahead and run through it. There's still going to be a set outcome based on that module or a particular other thing of the system. So going from that and then being introduced to something like Blades, where I could totally impact everything, really opened my eyes to what the Fortune of the Dark Systems can do, because it's not you work for them, it's you make them work for you to tell whatever story or fiction that you wish to play. That sounds like an amazing back of the book blurb. Thank you. <laughs> Pam. Gosh, okay. Um, where do I start? Um, let's see. I think that a lot of Forge in the Dark games, uh, like Justin put it so well, it's it's a minute focus and it's like a it's pinpointed rather than broad strokes. And then depending on how you pinpoint it, again, everything kind of changes around it. So PTPA, in my experience at least, thrives when you have a strong sense of genre. If you do not have a strong sense of genre, the game can very easily fall apart. Uh, and what's interesting, though, on the Forge level is that if you don't have a strong sense of like focus, the game could also fall apart because the mechanical parts hang together depending on, <clears throat> depending on how you want to communicate uh, what you're trying to say. And another thing, admittedly, while I love Blades, I've noticed that, um, I've heard a lot of interesting feedback that the original campaign of John Harper was not a good sell, particularly for BIPOC people. They could not find themselves in a setting that was entirely neutral. So that's why, I think that's why a lot of people tried to make their own Forged in the Dark games, because they were like, I love the system, but I can't take the setting. And that's when they made their own thing, right? Um, now, in terms of what you could add to it, I really do like the suggestion of going of fixing the mechanical stuff because some of them can get very clunky depending on how you spin it. 
I in particular like how Iron Sworn actually blended Forged in the Dark and PTBA together. That was that blew my mind, honestly, when I read it. And one thing that I'd like to do at least is try to add in more OSRE elements to Forged in the Dark, actually trimming out some of its core mechanics and focusing solely on the idea that the player is somebody who has a lot of agency, but the world itself is very difficult because it's the burn that could make things interesting. Forge simulates that by using B6s and a kind of point system. A lot of OSR games that I've played simulate it by, let's say, um, exploding or uh, devaluing dice or rolling under, which is a difficult mechanic to hack, but once you get it, it makes for a really tense and interesting experience. Um, I also really do like the idea of collaborative world building, which is why uh, Sundo is a big thing among a lot of people who've read it, because um, it lets you choose the elements that you put in and the elements that you take out by simple exclusion. And if you don't like that sort of thing, you can just say, okay, the GM can handle half of this, and then the players handle the other half, and that's cool. The game will still run. So I think that's like my long-winded way of saying, Forged has a lot of stuff. I don't even really know where to begin, where you can fix it. And it really depends on your mix. Uh, and what, I guess, on a personal level, it's fun for me to listen to these answers and to respond to it because each one of us comes from a different gaming background. So we're like, hmm, which one could we add in even if we don't know PTBA? Because I'm the OSR girl and I'm like, hmm, roll under, uh, roll under dice and strange things. I want to put that in Forged, right? Uh, everybody else um, so far has been answering my PTBA or maybe trad game. So that's cool. That is cool. Um, Charles. Yeah. Uh, so to answer the first half, um, and I think I, I really liked where Eric was pointing towards with this. So I'm just going to elaborate on that because I'm a uh, a follower, not a leader. Um, so the thing that really stands out to me is that, and Eric sort of articulated this, everything is kind of facing the players. Even the GM stuff is facing the players in Forged. Um, there's a whole like the whole downtime thing, which is kind of like just a way to spin some gears and do some release valves and basically make the uh, the meters of the system sort of combobulate themselves and drive the players to further action through like privation, whether it's of money or of, you know, you've got all these wounds and so now you need to go find a doctor or whatever. Um, all of that stuff are bullet are is a sheet that basically the players have in front of them and the GM has in front of of him or her and or they and you all just run down it together and at no point is any part of the machinery kind of hidden which in like a thing called like fronts it kind of is because a front is fundamentally a mental model the gm has to hold in their brain and somehow bring forth to the players at predisposed moments using like the pbta um, framework type prompts and stuff like the the gm's uh ideals or I, I can't remember the exact phrase but i think everyone who's played pbta probably knows the gm's like things to do um whereas in forged it's like a player fundamentally it's a it's player driven where you present a situation and the player puts an input and says okay this is my target gm says okay based on that your position is this or this or your situation looks like that then the player drives the action with like how they attack their action role, they throw the dice, and then the GM's kind of just deconstructing it at the end, finding what the consequences were. And then the player's like, you know what? I hate those consequences. I'm not gonna have any of them. <laughs> so in a real way, like um, 
the innovation that really stands out to me is that as the GM, I'm being pulled along in the wake of everything that's being dredged by the players as they drive forward into the setting. So uh, to link that to what I think Forge in the Dark designers should be looking to borrow, I think they should be looking for more ways to help the GM um, basically provide um, naturalistic inputs to that framework. Because if the players are driving it, as a GM, it's very easy to get kind of lost behind, like you're a guy being dragged behind a speedboat and you, your skis come off and then you're just in the water. Like, I don't know, whatever the players are doing, I'm following it. Um, I've felt this happen to me, GMing a long running blades game where everything is just, there's 10 plates in the air and I'm holding about three of them and the players are just like, here's where we're going. And I'm like, sure, whatever. Okay. But um, past a certain point, I start I started not having things to add to the conversation as the GM in a, in a real way um, because there was so much already on the table. And that's not necessarily bad. It means that there's a lot of plot threads that you can sort of like close loops on and just be like, oh, wait, remember this guy five sessions ago? Okay, he's here. And now we're going to finish that storyline or whatever. Um, and that's all wonderful. But um, I think that forged loops need to find a way to like, there's this unspoken rule that eventually you're going to find your, um, your season finale in a forged uh, thing, but there's no real direction to get there or what to do once you get there. Um, and I think that, uh, one of the big hacks, um, Band of Blades, uh, takes this in a very wild direction. I, full disclosure, I can't play Band of Blades. It's not my game uh, in a lot of ways, but I really respect what what uh, Straws was doing with it because it was an attempt to cage various elements of the Forge system and say, all right, here's what we're doing with this. Here's your big like set piece that you're driving towards at the end. How well will you arrive there? What what does your story in the between space look like? And then all of the threads kind of converge to the point. So some kind of um, seasonal mechanic to make that system find its um, natural denoyment is, I think, what, what people should be looking for. That's like, that's the space I'm really interested in charting mm. Hello World next, even though I have not written any of this yet. Uh, just a quick like response to that. Mabel Harper had a very interesting brief hack of uh, Blades in the Dark itself, and yes. I think it was called the Steel Weaver's mm -hmm. Rebellion. Yes. And yes. She, she solved the time thing by saying, here right. is a large clock. These are the following actions that will fill it, and this is how it fills up. So that pretty much gave you the pressure, right? Uh, Band of Blades is very interesting also because I have been playing it and I have a lot of fun, but its main weakness for me is if your players are not all on board, the game will literally explode because it moved the agency of GMs to everybody else. So if you mm -hmm. have that one player who is not as focused or not as interested, um, frankly speaking, you will fuck up and it'll hurt because they changed some of the core mechanical rules of Band of Blades such that the burn is even worse and the consequences are even higher. And yeah. that is, um, if it's your kind of thing, sure. But my group actually said, we don't like that. Can we just like cheat a little bit? Like, I know that some people were saying you're supposed to like, for example, sorry, I'm like, I'm geeking out. Um, if you, if you killed, if, if you had a certain character in like an NPC, uh, they're basically dead, right? And we were like, no, you see what we're gonna do is each one of us is going to pilot two or three characters all at the same time, so nobody dies. And my GM was like, I don't know whether that's allowed. And like me, the resident Forge in the Dark designer was like, 
Well, actually, because the book doesn't say it, it's allowed. So <laughs> I don't know. There what is no there. rule that says a dog can't play basketball. Yeah, and if it says so, just go back to GM best practices. See, you're supposed to go along with what I say right oh, yeah. here. Yeah. So yeah, that was a quick aside. Um, the, the seasonal stuff is um, for any game, honestly, that's very hard. And yeah. Forge makes you feel it. So yeah. It's interesting because a lot of this sounds like the conversation that happens around very ambitious TV shows like Supernatural or Fringe or X-Files, where like you go from Monster yes. of the Week to a meta plot that holds together and is very compelling. And I totally. love that parallel. You guys have done a really good job individually of painting that picture and getting it there. That's really cool. All right. Our next question is... Uh, happens under the title hammer down what does forged in the dark offer you specifically as a designer let's talk about the levers that stood out for you as a as a designer working within the space what themes work well with the system and what makes it a particularly fertile design space and we're going to start with justin on this one uh this is a great question especially given the last conversation in, in your comment i one of the reasons i really loved Blades in the Dark, when I first saw it, is it really hit that tone of serial television show for me. And it does that in a lot of ways, including the mechanics. Um, but I think what I want to cover with this question is that for me as a designer, um, I like narrative-heavy games. I like one-shot story games a lot. Um, and I like campaign games. And I also enjoy meddling with mechanically heavy games, as long as they offer me that other stuff. And that is kind of what Blades does for me, is it is a game that is just as narratively driven as almost any game out there, but it also has levers to hold on to and to twist, and there is, uh, depending on your hack, there might be themes of um, strategy that you can hit with the system that you can't do in some other narrative-heavy games, just because those levers don't exist. Um, so for me, some of the things I love playing with are stre the stress system, which uh, is, is very simple, but very effective. People are probably familiar with similar systems in Call of Cthulhu and stuff, but I think that the Blades one is a little more elegant than that. Um, I also love, uh, you know, just to name a few of my favorite mechanics again, um, I love flashbacks. Again, going back to that te serial television thing. Flashbacks happen all the time in storytelling, and you rarely see them in a lot of games. Uh, they happen constantly in, in Blades because it's formulated that, um, and it's given people a, a way to make that happen in other, you know, in their own hacks, different, uh, and, and to reflavor those things. Um, and I think the other thing I really like is, um, I will say, is, is the cyclical nature of, of the design where you have different phases and play looks different depending on the phase you're in. So you can have, like I said, a really zoomed in action phase that's like all about moment to moment excitement. And you can have a zoomed out downtime phase that is about big picture stuff. Uh, in Mothlight, um, the downtime phase literally happens over a period of a month. Um, so a lot of stuff can happen in that time. People can do all kinds of stuff and, and the world changes, seasonal events happen. Um, and I really am excited to see what people do with uh, the differences, again, in those phases. Uh, personally, 
I really want to add some legacy board game elements to downtime, but I'll, I'll save uh, some more on that for later. Okay, that's a delightfully wonderful teaser. Uh, we're going to have to hold off to that, though. Nichelle. Mm-hmm. Yes. Oh, what does it not offer me as a designer is honestly the better question to ask. Because yeah. you have... I'm a person that loves buttons. As a GM and as a player, uh, I've been doing Blades consistently for pretty much ever since it came out. I have some campaigns that are two years in running, as well as some that are just simply one shots that I've run or played um, and some mini arcs and different things. But I've also noticed as the table matures or evolves a little bit, you begin to look at the game mechanics and things like that a little bit differently. You're like, you know, I want to explore stress this particular campaign. I want to interact with it. I want to see how I can manipulate it, how I could shift it, how I can change it. Does it really honestly act differently based in this situation or environment? So from a narrative and fictional standing, I love that aspect of being able to tweak things and play with things. Um, The two playbooks that I have created so far, the Surge and the Samat, the Samat is a blood bender. It deals with a lot of harm compared with stress. I don't like stress heavy builds. I want to be able to do something fun and I want to pretty much get away with it and not have any consequences of my actions. But I like to be able to play with those consequences in a different aspect than what a normal person may go ahead and perceive that to be. So for me as a designer, being able to mess with the forge systems as, okay, these are the buttons and levers that I can press. What kind of sequence can I do? What happens if I do this and then I go ahead and do that? It's a, it's, it's a very, I don't know, it's, it's hard to explain, yet it is so fun and impactful because you're essentially playing with ripples in a puddle of seeing how they interact with each other and shift and change a game completely different to what you initially expected. Um, Something that I'm working on on my own hack, the Voidal Surfer, is something very much like the Call of Cthulhu that Justin mentioned with the stress mechanic. Things automatically are on the table and being able to have those clocks and consequences already running and seeing how that will actually either pressure or impact your table to take certain actions or to go ahead and interact with them a certain way or even in a way you didn't expect really makes it a fun type of system to go ahead and hack and manipulate. Thank you. Uh, Pamu, uh, as a designer, which levers are you really entranced by? Um, I will coach my response with the context that in the design spaces that I move around, a lot of designers who have dealt with many different systems have also the same thing about Blades. They're not sure why Blades has to explicitly state things that GMs and players should already know. My response to that is typically, I come from the Philippines for and the idea that they have agency 
So Fortune and Dark for me and PTBA are both systems that are training wheels for players, gamers, and designers. That is the beauty of it. It articulates things that you should technically know, but may have visited that it's not. Um, the, the subject matter uh, matters a lot to me because, again, I am female and I am queer. I was moving around in primarily cishet male and toxic masculine spaces. So my playstyle, which thrives in PTBA and Forged, and my design style and my design sense were all told that they were wrong. So Blades in the Dark uh, and Forged in general offers you that out where it says, hey, you can do this. Hey, you can do that. Hey, you can change this up. You can fix this. You can hack it. Nobody cares because it is actually your job and you get to decide. It's very empowering. So it's less like one thing and more the entire theme of Fortune that are in general when it comes to hacking, you can use that as a space to basically reclaim uh, things that have mattered to you or to explore stuff that you were not able to articulate that somebody else did for you. That's very, very convenient. Um, now, in terms of like my own special uh, favorite Fortune of Dark thing, um, I really, really like uh, The Devil's Bargain. That's so much fun. Um, it just, it's just such a convenient thing to see your players go like, the, that moment where they're like, holy shit, I really want this, but I don't know how to get it. And I'm just like, what if I offer you a deal? Let's try this, right? And what's nice about the Devil's Bargain thing is that a lot of people forget that your player is supposed to be the one who decides that, not you. So your player can basically go, I really want this, and I have this cool idea based off of this one NPC that I really, really like. Can we go there instead? And it's fun because you guys get to negotiate and converse, and also on a safety and consent level, that's super, super important. Uh, a lot of the players that I deal with, again, are D&D-based, and they've been told consistently that they play bad. So Blades gave them the offering of... You want to romance that NPC? You want to be queer as fuck and have your gay panic through this NPC? Is that your devil's bargain? And a lot of them were like, yes. And that is amazing to see. Um, and I haven't really seen, at the moment, I haven't seen a lot of other systems who allow for that. So that's my fertile game space thing for Forged. That's awesome. All right, Charles, your turn. Okay. Um... The thing that stands out to me about Forged, and this is a, a contrast to PBTA, and I, I realize we're now past that topic, is that Forged is a box full of tools, and there's a lot of different ways to use them. Uh, Pam really alluded to it well, because as a player, although they're almost all player tools, um, the GM can set some clocks and do some other things, but fundamentally, there's so much like... Um, so many different levers that you can reach for, whether it's a downtime, choosing to create a wild new downtime project that's going to be a long-term, like, I'm just going to, you know what, my player is going, or my my character is going to build this amazing contraption. And when I turn it on, when I flip the switch, at the end of however many sessions it takes me to construct this thing, it is going to be a giant metal exoskeleton that will let me crush my enemies, or or whatever. That's That's a very reductionist um, way to go to attack that. But there are there's so many different like options to go at. And um, I really like uh, also the idea that um, because there are so many good levers within Forged, uh, there's a lot of play within it, even within a single hack, um, to create playbooks that are very unique. Um, 
on the most extreme end uh, for Hello World, I have a playbook that actually uses the Devil's Bargain mechanic fundamentally differently to everyone else. Um, it is actually the Daemon, which is a uh, specialist character in my game because uh, it's a digital world. So Daemons, which are you know this uh, basically autonomous process separate from the people who actually log in, the users. So when you are a daemon, you cannot take devil's bargains. Instead, you propose them to everyone else. So whenever somebody, another player at the table takes a devil's bargain, you actually relieve yourself of stress because they're taking it from you, essentially. Um, and so that changes the dynamic because just by that one flip switch, suddenly that player is the one proposing all the devil's bargains at the table um, because that's what you do. You propose them at the table. And so it's a way to offer a player a design space and say, hey, what if you were just a little different in this one way and you took that and that was your special thing, that was your prize. Um, my other playbooks, aside from the daemon, are much more subtle about it. Um, but I, I think, uh, and I think this is something that's also done um, uh, in, in another system. I'm blanking on the name of the designer now and I regret it. But when you're designing a game like a, a game that has a lot of mechanical hooks, like in a forged system, uh, one of the things that I think is really cool about playbook design, which is a, a particular favorite of mine that I think of many other Forge designers, is um, just reach out and find a way, find a little hook that can just be that one playbook special thing. And then that will give your players who are looking at prospectively playing your game uh, something that feels unique to them, something that's their own. It's like a little um, a little cycle that they alone get to complete. Um, Anyway, that's uh, sort of a divergence, I guess. Um, I apologize if I if I ran somewhere else with this question. It, it's your panel. You guys get to go where you want to with it. Eric? Yeah, um, I think uh, everyone's brought up a lot of kind of interesting points. Um, my kind of main thing, um, and this is something that isn't necessarily unique to Forge in the Dark, but um, kind of, it was the first system I really designed in that kind of married the fiction to the mechanics uh, in a way that, um, you know, everything you do mechanically has a fictional outcome, uh, and the fiction of what you're doing affects the mechanics, you know, going back to uh, setting your position as, you know, controlled, risky, or desperate. Um, and because everything kind of flows out of that, um, you don't need to get really kind of janky with the mechanics in order to play out a lot of, uh, kind of different scenarios or different scenes with the same core mechanics. Um, you know, combat flows very similarly to, uh, sneaking around flows very similarly, um, at a mechanical level. Um, to, you know, kind of more social or dialogue-driven scenes, uh, at least in my experience, because, you know, no matter what, you're still working with, you know, that fictional positioning, um, and whether or not, you know, you're in a desperate position because someone's about to, you know, expose your secret identity at a fancy party, or if you're in a desperate position because, you know, uh, you... Uh, again, brought a brought a knife to a vampire fight, as Charles said. Um, My favorite thing to do in Brickwood. Yeah, um, I think uh, 
kind of the coolest part about blades though is just how hackable it is and how many settings have kind of grown out of it um and gone to very unique places both uh kind of mechanically and setting wise um you know we just on this panel we have stuff as diverse as you know hello world where you're literally playing inside uh a computer itself um and you know it's 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 really amazing for me to see just how broad forged in the dark can be um i used to think it was kind of limited uh to kind of just being about um if not criminals than underdogs um which you know arguably it is but there's still a lot of interesting design space and an interesting setting space there Mm -hmm. I think Fantastic. it's so funny that we think of Blades player characters as underdogs. They are some of the people with the strongest agency in any role-playing game. Right. All right, Justin. Uh, oh. Me me again? Uh, did, oh, did I start with you? <laughs> yes, we did. I'm sorry. Okay, right. so um, we are at 12 minutes until the end of the panel. So what I'm going to propose is that we blow through the next two questions rapid fire, and then um, we remind people that if they want to get in touch with you, they can go through your slides, which are really handy, and skip the five minute who are you and where to find you. Is there anybody that objects to that? Okay, cool. So we're gonna get as much content in here as possible, and then we're gonna tell people to go look at the slides to find you. We're gonna start with Nichelle, Tools of the Trade. How do you go about developing a blades hack? And the question about this that is the part of this question that's the most interesting to me is what are the unique play testing concerns and how do you know when you're finished? When is it a game? Mm, hard question. It can be many, many <laughs> answers. Um, I think for me is what gets you excited? to play the game or the hack and start from there. Start where your creativity and your imagination just run rampant. Hey, what aspect of for Blades in the Dark or Forge in the Dark systems really gets you excited to play them? And you're like coming up with characters and, oh, well, what if I do this in the world? I find that most of uh, the products that I've essentially come up with so far that are freely in the community are just things that really excited me and I just had a burst of creativity to go ahead and create it. So like The Surge, oh, I want to bring The Matrix and Cyberpunk to Blades in the Dark. So, and you know what? There's not enough electroplasm that gets brought up in games. No, what GM brings up where the light switches are or where the generators are located or any of the electricity or anything that's essentially powering the entire city. Let's go ahead and play with that a little bit. And I would have to say that that is where I personally would start. What gets you excited? Uh, the second part of that unique play testing concern. You know, playtesting, you can go through a million iter iterations 
of something before you come up with something that and it can look very very different from when you first started you're like oh i have this amazing awesome idea and i want to go ahead and run it to where it's polished and ready for the community at large i would say don't give up on yourself don't think that oh it has to be this one thing let people who are helping you work through mechanical questions or fictional questions help you understand what you're trying to create even better have um play testing even if they're rough and they're complete rubbish and they don't work you are still gaining information on how to work through some of those mechanics or aspects of your hack so i would say don't give up on yourself write notes uh, and go ahead and keep caring about the work and letting other people's inspiration based off of what you created help you even further into fine-tuning that. That's really encouraging. Thank you. Pam? I think for Fortune and Dark in particular, look for what is missing. That is the entire reason why One More Notch exists. The, there were no true people of color. There were only implied people of color in the setting. So, and then magic was very amalgus as a concept. So what I did was I created six playbooks for a people of color uh, that was basically the Philippines. And I wrote an entire setting that was fancy Philippines out of it. And then after that, because magic was amalgus, the Grishaverse had a very strong backbone for magic. I made basically Avatar The Last Airbender, except it's Dishonored. So it's, those were the two sets of One More Notch. They were entire playbooks. They were meant to play well with the Blades in the Dark system as it is. So we were talking a lot about a, a playbook that played with stress. What I did for that was the Berserker class, Pintado, under Namayan, basically rewards you for having high stress levels. Your effect goes up with every extra dot of stress that you have. So you can literally kill an army on your own, but you are also extremely stressed and probably one point away from trauma. So that, that made it a lot more mechanically interesting for my players. The other thing that I did was I wanted to, to incorporate Eruvia because a lot of people talk about Eruvia, but they don't actually play it. So I gave them a position in One More Notch where they are the ones who are basically the demon people. And for the, for the people of, of, of Blades, it's like, whoa, that's weird. But Aruvia is like, we worship them. You guys are weird, right? So it was a, it added the BIPOC color. Okay, not BIPOC. That is actually being way too generous. It added the perspective of one Filipino girl who could not see herself in the game. So if you are going to look at any game, and this is general, not to Blades in the Dark in particular, look for what is missing. What dissatisfied you? What mechanics seemed fun, but it also seemed half-baked? What are the things that people like to focus on that you didn't get to focus on? That's where you should start, in my experience. Now, unique playtesting concerns? Yeah, Nichelle is right. Just go for it. If it seems like it sucks, play it. If it seems like it's great, play it. Uh, if you ran into a logical wall, you don't know where to go next, play it. Because the problem with game testing, uh, with games, is that you really have to play it or read it through really well and then read it back to yourself for you to be successful. Um, and there's no such thing as a perfect game. Um, one of the great advice that I got from a friend was finished rather than perfect. Basically, that is the state of any game, finished rather than perfect. Don't pressure yourself into making the next amazing heartbreaker. There's no such thing. 
And don't pressure yourself into thinking, I must be original because also, I'm sorry, honey, there's no such thing. Uh, what matters is that the perspective was yours, you did it, and that's amazing. So that's, that would be my advice. That's fabulous. Uh, Charles. Uh, I'll speak really quickly to uh, mini minimum play testable games. Uh, back in 2019, I uh, signed up to go play Nor to attend Go Play Northwest for the first time. I'd never been to a tabletop RPG convention before in my life. And at that time, Hello World was about two pages in a Google document. And roughly what they said was Transistor or Tron, the RPG. That was it. Um, and then like some loose ideas for what the actions what later become, became my nine functions were, so the, the action verbology of the game. Um, I had about a month and a half, and I was able to translate that into the loosest, worst, shittiest, most terrible playbook sheet or play sheets ever for like five character classes. And then all I had was just a loose, a loose leaf like series of ideas. And I brought that to Go Play Northwest, and I play tested it twice over that weekend. Um, and it was the single greatest thing I ever did for the game. Um, everything has been running off of that momentum for like a straight year since. Um, after that, I went to another convention. Um, can't remember off the top of my head. Uh, Big Bad Con, that's it, 2019. Then coronavirus hit, and now I've just been designing at home in the dark alone, like everyone else, um, <laughs> which is very appropriate for a Forge in the Dark panel. Um, <laughs> we are 100% every one of us forging in the dark in our own little islands now. Motivating. Um, anyway, minimum playtest. Uh, you have to get the minimum viable, like no frills, just like the very basic core of your thing in front of people and see how they respond to it. Because ultimately what people responded to in Hello World was the concept of memory, the concept of immortal identities, because that's what the game's themes are about. It's about immortal users, people who've had their minds uploaded into a cyberspace and how they live, what they do. Um, how they deal with the uh, problems of maintaining a coherent identity when the only commodity of true value is memory storage and the ability to store your own consciousness. Um, so that's Hello World. It's uh, and uh, like I didn't realize any of that when I actually brought the game. I didn't know that until people, playtesters, essentially told me through their actions at the table as I observed them interact with the setting that I, that I was like casually, haphazardly. Splashing in front of them, and then they were like, "This memory thing's pretty cool." And I was like, "It is. You're right. <laughs> I never would have known that if they hadn't told me." Some that's fun. Okay, Eric, go ahead. Um, Sorry, I was I I, I was uh, just taking a moment to think there. Um, oh, that's fine. Uh, I really think. Uh, this is a question I put up, so I was mostly just interested in other people's answers. Um, but the main takeaway I've had out of playtesting um, is to try and aim at uh, the core of your game is where the themes that you want to express kind of intersect with uh, the expectations that whatever community you have has for the game. Um, in playtesting Brinkwood, a lot of my playtesting kind of revolved around finding the parts of the game that people responded to and uh, were interested in, um, and then kind of developing that until it's workable. Um, and once you have a game that kind of accomplishes both what you set out to do and what people kind of expect it to do, uh, the task then, which I'm currently in, is just kind of like cutting down uh, anything that doesn't kind of serve one of those two ends. 
Fantastic. Thank you. Justin. I'll try to be quick. Um, so I think that everyone's advice about minimal, minimal viable playtesting is great. Start with the very basics of the Blades formula, the action system or whatever, and add whatever you think is interesting about your own hack and just only use that. Don't use anything else uh, for the first little while. Um, it'll work. Don't worry about it. Uh, the other thing is to, um, you know, I, I think that uh, a piece of advice I got recently from Strauss, actually a designer of some well-known Forge in the Dark games, is to work with a partner. And uh, I'm trying to do that more and more now, and it's definitely a really good piece of advice. You can find some partners uh, for your hack, possibly on the Blades Discord channel, so give that a look. And uh, I, I suppose my, my last piece of advice is also a plug, which is listen to the Hacked in the Dark podcast featuring Forge in the Dark games and their designers, um, because we'll have a lot of advice for you there that we don't have time to give in this last minute of conversation. All right, I'm going to bend the rules just a little, and I can because I'm in charge. I'm going to have each one of you give me one sentence. I know this okay. is going to be tough for you. That states exactly where people can find the thing that you've done. One sentence plug, starting with Pam. Uh, oh, wait, let me go for that. Okay, the Dovetailer uh, Patreon also itch. That is where you can find me. Please support me. Also, please play my Funny Revolution game. If you go on Patreon, you will be able to actually get the campaign book for one more notch because it is something I cannot make money out of, but it's also something I want to keep exclusive to people who support me. Fantastic. Charles, your turn. Hey, uh, find me on umbralaeronaut.itch.io um, through the slideshow. Those are all clickable links. And then I'm on Twitter at, at umbral underscore aeronaut, the most difficult name ever. You're welcome. Fantastic. Eric, your turn. Brinkwood.net. Awesome. Justin. <laughs> this guy knows. This guy Justin knows. Michelle. <laughs> You can find all of my games on uh, moth-lands.itch.io. I also have a drive-through RPG for some uh, select print-on-demand games, which you can find under my publishing name, Mothlands. Fantastic. And Nichelle? You can find me at mistletoe-kiss at itch.io or my website, which is still currently under development, but voidal period space the name of my website for my freelancing gm and content creation that's coming out next all year. right um you guys did that was like 60 seconds of amazing all right <laughs> thank you so much this was absolutely fantastic and enlightening i am so grateful um i'm gonna go over to the double exposure discord to the panel what watch party channel if you decide that you want to come and hang out with me and answer some of the audience questions that we didn't get to, I will be there. Um, otherwise, we will see you online. Thank you so much. Thank, yeah, thank you. you very much. Thank, thank you. you all for coming.